Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. So this, this scripture, I think it's kind of like even an assignment I want to give. So the scripture is, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So I want to throw that as an assignment, right? You don't have to answer it right now, but take note of First Timothy 4, 8. And I want you to use everything you've learned about BMG, uh, on BMG, about Bible interpretation and things that you already know, tools that you have at your disposal. Correctly interpret this text. So for example, here's a question. Is Paul saying, it is good to work out, right? Is this what this text is inferring? Or does Paul mean something else when he uses the word exercise? And why is he comparing bodily exercise to godliness? So I, I want to leave you with that thought. Look at the whole context, okay? Yeah, exactly. Look at the context. Check how he started that chapter. And then see if you can come up with something now i'll be looking forward to hearing from you on this and maybe i'll ask next week i want to give you a whole week figure it out study look at um commentaries uh but do a lot of thinking because the, the the practice of um exegesis or interpreting it's not an easy thing. so all right so we're back let's come back to what we are here for today and we are in the book of Philippians. Philippians, hi. Um, Banke is here. All right. So let's let's get into the word. Let's pray and then we'll get into Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I thank you. I give you praise. I give you glory for your um, spirit that is about to instruct us. Even as we study, our, our minds are open. Our minds are alert. And so um, let's, let's do a little bit. So we started the book of Philippians and, you know, Philippians is one of those books that you could breeze through or you could spend many hours studying and each method will give you the blessing of each, each method will give you a blessing, right? So if you read it, just, I just want to read through, you get blessed. You learn a whole lot. Um, but the same thing goes if you decide to study it. Of course, you get to learn more when you study deeply. But what, what is interesting to me is that when you see a letter written by an apostle, there is a purpose to the letter. And, and this is something I've been studying recently, right? Um, most times there is, an, there is a requirement, you know, to interpret the text in the context of the entire book. Or sometimes you're just you're just inclined more to um, interpreting the entire book in the context of the entire Bible. Those are two levels. So I can see a verse, and still hope you are still with me. I can see a verse in the scriptures, and I have to ask two questions: What is this text relevant? How is this text relevant to the book? And then also, how is this book relevant to the entire Bible? And those are two thoughts to have when it comes to um, scripture interpretation. Remember the first thing we did, right? We the first thing we, we discussed when we started Bible. When you read a letter, you should ask some questions: Who was it written to? Who wrote the book? Why was it written? What's the application? Um, another way when you read the scriptures, another approach is the approach of saying, "I'm reading a particular verse. What is the point of this text?" in this book and that always opens a lot of thoughts and i was i was saying something in passing that i've been reading a lot about um just the, so i say the art of preaching or the art of communicating and one of the key things that the book talks about is that every text has a subject and a complement every verse has a subject and a complement meaning the subject is what is the main thought the complement is what supports or answers the question by the main thought? These these are all these things are sounding very co complex right now, but 
I want you to realize that that's what we've been doing already. We've been doing a lot of study in this book and it's been, you know, we've realized a whole lot of stuff. So for example, the first thing we realized is that this book was written by Paul with Timothy there. It was written to those who are in Philippi. And we looked at a lot of things last week, right? So who remembers where Philippi is? Where can we find Philippi geographically? I mentioned it last week. Who was here? Macedonia. Very good. Macedonia. We talked about it, right? It's it's it, like Macedonia is a big province. And within Macedonia, there are a number of places, right? And um, Philippi is one of the places there. So it would it's why that is important is that when you read at Macedonia being mentioned, you need to understand, oh, Philippi was also in Macedonia. So the experiences Paul had in Macedonia would play out in his writing to them. Right? So let's do a quick review and get to where we stopped. So um, let's read together. I'm going to read in the HCSB what is, and then we'll just start teaching from where I stopped last, last week. All right, so good to see you, Toyosi and Lalade. Thanks for joining. All right, so Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying for joy, with joy for all of you in every prayer of mine. Because your partnership, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I remember I thought about this. The reason Paul really loved them was because they were kind to his needs and they were there for him when he was with them. So he, they partnered with him, not only with his well-being, but in the in the cause of the gospel. The fact that they also suffered alongside him and they were defending the gospel with him, as well as trying to make sure that the gospel was confirmed in their lives. And that's why he says, it's right for me to think about you in this way, because he says, I have you in all my heart and you're all partners with me in grace. In what grace? Two sides of grace that people don't always reflect on is that there is the grace, which is a gift of God, forgiveness. God gives you righteousness free of charge. That's one side of grace that everyone understands. Is it is something you receive that you do not really deserve, but God gives to you. That's one side of grace. But the other side of grace is what comes along with participating in Christ or being a part of this thing called Christianity. It, it, it is in itself an offensive message to the world. You know, it is an it, the Bible calls it a stumbling block to those who do not believe. So because the word of God, or aka here, the gospel has that side, the grace of God is not only just in the good things that you experience, righteousness by faith, salvation, eternal life, and all those beautiful things that come as a gift. But on the other side is suffering for Christ, being persecuted for the sake of Christ, losing some of your material possession for the sake of Christ, your generosity, your life your sanctification, those things are part of grace. And you must have a holistic view of the grace of God. All right? Exactly. Like it was said in First Peter chapter 4. If you suffer for... We read it last week, if you're here. You know, if you suffer for Christ, if you suffer as a Christian, you are blessed and the Spirit of the Lord is with you. Um, it says, but don't suffer as a as an unbeliever or a thief or a robber or someone else, you know suffer for the sake of christ and there's a blessing attached to suffering for christ and paul is later on in this chapter going to talk about how he fellowships with god not only in the blessing of righteousness and the resurrection which he will receive but in the sufferings and you know the whole gospel of jesus christ can be summarized as being one way of summarizing the gospel of jesus is the sufferings that Jesus would go through and the glories to follow. Like that's the holistic idea of, of Jesus and what he came to do. He suffered and he was glorified. What happened with his suffering? He showed us his humanity. What happened as a result of his glorification? We saw his divinity and we saw how that applies to our lives. 
the blessings that we receive because of that. So you need to have that holistic view. I'm saying this because when you think of grace, you must have a complete sense of what grace is. Grace is not always just the free gift of good things. It could also be the free gift of terrible situations, which God, you know, ultimately, because it's grace, will allow to work for your good. So, for example, James would tell us that don't be don't be confused or afraid when you go through trials and temptations. He says God is going to use those things to work in you patience and hope and strength. You know, there's no one who goes to the gym and builds a couple of, you know, you know, str- like good muscles or beautiful build um, just by attending the gym. Like a lot of resistance is placed on their muscle groups to see the results. That's the same thing with the Christian. There's no opposition. There's little growth. All right. And so Paul is talking about his imprisonment. He says, guys, I'm in prison, but you guys are participating in my sufferings with me. And that's that's a grace <laughs> in defense of the gospel and in the establishment of the gospel, which is the confirmation of the gospel. And he says, for God is my witness, how I deeply miss all of you with the affection of Christ. And I pray that your love will keep on growing. And, you know, Daphne did us the honor of, of breaking down this prayer that Paul prayed for four expressions of love or four aspects of love um, in this, in this prayer. I don't know if she remembers but there were four particular prayers. The first one was that your love will abound more and more in knowledge. So God wants your knowledge to your your love to be filled or filled by knowledge, right? So a, a knowledge that knows, a, a, a an educated knowledge, a sorry, a, a knowledgeable love, a love that is based on what you know right and then in and all discernment so god wants you to have a discerning love and i explained this that this is not this is not the mushy kind of love that just fades away it's a love that is backed up by knowledge of what christ has done and so paul is saying i love you you love me but this is not barney it's not i love you you love me we're a happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. How many of you did that? Or how many of you even know Barney? Because Barney was my childhood. You know, won't you say you love me too? And most people think that's what love really looks like. You know, and <laughs> the real love Paul is praying for is the one that goes beyond the sentimental emotional realm it must be backed up by knowledge and discernment and then he says it has to be um that you may approve the things that are excellent so it has to be a love that is excellent i I don't know if daphne remembers she wrote it down but i don't think she wrote it down you know what i mean she wrote on the chat um but she didn't write it down it just came at the moment and i don't know if anyone was paying attention but there were four points about the love um that paul was praying for so if you remember it that'll be a blessing we share it again i'll find it on okay i know i know yeah dara left but she always takes notes so she'll have it um but yeah let me go ahead um that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of christ so your love must be sincere. So I talked about a sincere love. I'm very sure I mentioned sincere love, um, excellent love, and knowledgeable love. So your love must not just be sentimental. It must be genuine and backed up by knowledge. And then he says, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are in Christ Jesus, to the praise and glory of God. So there's supposed to be an outward display of the impact of the love of God. Yes, so thank you. Daphne put it up here. So it is, first of all, an informed love. And this is so important. I really want you guys to to, to think about it because when you look at the prayers Paul prays, it's very easy for you to just quote them and pray it over yourself without really understanding them. And so I, I don't want us to leave our study today without understanding what Paul was praying for. 
He's like, hey, I'm suffering. And you people, because I'm this superstar apostle, might love me because I'm this superstar apostle. You know, because you, 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 your value seems to be higher when you're around people of value. You know what that, you know that feeling, right? Where, you know, we just want to have pictures with the, with the best celebrities so that we can tell people I was with this person, you know, and I have this picture with this person. And there's just a joy that comes with it. People know that you'll be like, ah, if you've met Jackie Hill, and you're like, yeah, you know, like me. Now I, I met, um, um, Ezekiel and, and Preston recently. So I had a picture with them and, and I put it on my status and everybody was like, I'm jealous. Oh my God, you've met them. And I'm just like, you know, I'm, I was there. These were normal people who just got blessed to have the platform they have. So like, you know, I was, I had to just remember, remind myself, even though I was like starstruck. I was like, these people are just human beings that have families, lives, you know, just, just admire them and move on. So, but you see, a lot of people would say, I love you. I love you. I mean, some days back, I was trying to get my gym um, life on. And I remember growing up, I used to listen to like fast beat music by like Michael Jackson and all this like dance stuff because I felt it was very, very cardio. And um, I, so I was listening and I, I now went on YouTube and I was trying to find one of those things. And then I just saw something that I'd watched many years ago. It's a Michael Jackson concert. And, and we're talking 19, 1997 and he was on the stage and there was this like huge crowd of people and I'm in their hundreds, I wish I could share this my screen and show you. Like in hundreds of millions, I, I'm not even exaggerating. I don't think it was up to 100 million, but there were so many. Like you look at it and just the, the crowd just kept going. And it was just for this one man on the stage who just knows how to move his body so well. And you just see people in the audience shouting, I love you, Michael. I love you, Michael. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, what if, what is, informs this love it is because he's dancing and entertaining them and looks like this superstar so is your love really genuine or is just because of the how this person makes you you know so you always need to have those three those four things number one is your love informed is it backed up with knowledge sound knowledge about what has been done. So when you love, and this ex extends to like your real relationships with people, there are times when you will be tempted. Listen to me. This is very, very important. There are times when you will be tempted, no matter how much you love a person or claim to love a person, what will stand the test of time of that love is if it is informed. So at the dating stage, for example, you are building lyrics, um, evidences, you know, you're looking at their life and saying, this is why I love this person. And you are building a, a, a strong list. I'm not talking about an, an unreasonable list. I mean, you're seeing them, you're seeing their life, and you're saying, this is why I love this person. Oh, this is why I love this person. And so your love is informed. So because you have that informed list, when things come, when temptations come, when other people want to take the place of this person that loves you, that you love, you have a bank of knowledge to go back to. I mean, even your walk with God too, right? There are sometimes you're going through the worst situations in life. You lose a loved one and it's just like, do I still believe what I believe? Like, does this thing really work? And those questions will come. They will come. So if you, if you stand from a, an informed place and you're like, wait, Jesus died for me. I know all these things are happening. Jesus died. He's coming back. This is not the end. He's still going to punish evil. He's still going to set the world in order. So I love him. Like it's informed. And so God wants you to have an informed love. So it's a call to everyone here to invest in your knowledge of God. Why do you love God? You need to have those things. And um, yes, they can consist of your experience, you know, where God stepped in and helped you in social situation. But I think the most stable source of information is the word of god your experiences are good but the word of god is like always going to be there jesus did this it's final it's done it doesn't vary based on your emotions right and then sincere so it has to be genuine not just a love 
of lips. You know, God said this in, through the prophet. He says, um, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that's how people love God. It's just, I love you, Jesus. And they sing and sing and sing and they cry, but it doesn't make any meaningful, it doesn't warm their hearts. It doesn't come from a well of truth. It's just, it's just things you say in the moment. It's not sincere. And God wants you to have a sincere love, which is what Paul was talking about, without offense. And then he says exemplary, meaning it must, it must show. People must see this love and it must be like, I want to have that love. Exemplary. And we got that because he says, um, being filled with the fruit of righteousness. All right. So it's something that must be seen. And then productive flows into that thought too, because it says, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So this love must produce results. And the results it must produce is number one, the fruit of righteousness. We want to see a life that produces results in righteous living. So your love translates to living right. You know, have you seen people who say they love God, but there's nothing to prove that love? Right. Or let, have you seen people who say, I can do everything. I can catch a grenade for you. But when the opportunity comes, they see the grenade and they use you as their shield. You know, that's, that's exactly what happens in the real world. Um, so I, I really want you to um, be very, very intentional in understanding love this way, because that's what Paul is saying. And by the way, this is how you do Bible study, right? You look at a prayer and you break it down. You ask yourself those questions I asked at the beginning. What is the subject and what is the complement? The subject with this prayer would be Paul wants, to, wants you to grow in your love. How would that love grow and how should that love look? So he gives you all the types. He says, know what really matters. That's informed love. Be sincere. Um, let it be exemplary and productive. All right. And then he says, for I want you to understand what really matters that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Jesus Christ. And then we read this already. So let's continue from verse 12. He says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and speak boldly God's message without fear. And this is beautiful to see. He's saying, my imprisonment is not the end of me. In fact, it is an opportunity for more ministry to those who are in prison. And then for those who are even outside, my imprisonment has given them more confidence to speak boldly without fear. It's like if Paul could go through this suffering, I'm willing to go through that suffering as well. So I will speak boldly, not, not being worried about what will happen. Now, Paul realized that, you know, not everyone is doing it from the right motive. So he says, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. They want to, they want to just show off. They want to, they want to take the direct, the, the, the um, honor and respect of Paul's apostolic ministry and put it on themselves because now he's in prison. So he can't speak to people. He can't preach to people in the way he would love to. So let's take his place. And so some of them are doing it out of jealousy. Paul, you know, has a huge number of followers and they want to have that as well. Some want to just hurt his feelings and um, probably even just get the attention away from Paul while he's in prison. He said, but he says, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. So Paul's conclusion is, yes, there are people who are preaching Christ out of jealousy and envy of me. Some are preaching it from a place of good motives. But he says, as far as Christ is preached. That's verse 18. It doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. He says the message about Christ is being preached either way. And so I rejoice and I continue to rejoice. It's so, so... Paul like it's like I, I want the gospel to reach the ends of the earth and so I'm not going to question motives because I don't see their hearts but I do know that some people are trying to do this 
to hurt me and to just make a name for themselves. But as long as the Christ of the Bible is being preached, as long as Jesus Christ of Nazareth is being preached, as long as the gospel of Jesus is being preached, I will rejoice. And that's the best attitude to have. And I told you last week, you don't want to question people's motives as the primary thing. So if they are preaching the gospel and it's not false, focus on the gospel message. Don't focus on them. Now, if what they are preaching is false, you have every right to challenge that. And so Paul goes ahead. He says, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Can I pause on this text and ask a question? What does Paul, let me put in the NKJV. What does Paul want here? You can tell that Paul is looking for deliverance. How many of you agree? So he's not getting any pride or joy or happiness for being in prison. You know, there's some people who love experience a pity party. So they are being punished or beaten or suffering for the sake of Christ. But I mean, and this is maybe rare, but it does happen where they just want to stay in that place of pity. They're not really looking forward to their release. And that's not how Paul thinks. Paul, Paul, on one hand, understands that persecution cannot be avoided if you live holy and righteous in Christ. If you are doing what God commands you, on one side, you cannot escape persecution. Now, yours may not be as bad as imprisonment, but you will have persecution. And so Paul understood that very clearly. But on the other hand, he's not indifferent. He's like, I would rather be outside. <laughs> I don't want to be here. And so the Christian must always have that understanding that uh, persecution, yeah, it's one thing that comes against the people of God. But God wants you to seek deliverance. If you can run, run. If you have the freedom to escape um, situations where you could lose your life, the Bible is very, very for do it as long as you don't sacrifice or um, compromise on the gospel of Jesus. Let me give you an example. There were times in Jesus's ministry himself where he literally, the Bible say, and he was not, they couldn't catch him because he walked through their midst. Like he just disappeared from them. How many of you have seen that in scripture? I just wondered how did this happen? Jesus is in a crowd. They want to stone him. And then the Bible say he, he found his way away from them for his time had not yet come. How many of you have seen that before in the Bible? Just to be sure that you guys are here. That's why I'm asking. Is there a chat? You have. Okay, good. Please, you guys, I hope you are still here with me. This, this takes effort to, to do. And I really want to make sure we are following. If I'm boring, let me know so I can switch up. If I'm spending too much time on something, let me know. But I just, I love that interactivity. I want to see. So Jesus himself, right? would escape when it's not his time because of course yes he was going to die but there's some some meaningless sufferings that you don't need to go through all right look at paul paul at one time i think in in acts 16 or at end of acts 15 um escaped a city with a, through a basket just like david in the old testament paul also did the lower the baskets over the city 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 wall so he could escape right um, so in fact, there's a prayer that many of you might be familiar with where it says, you know, pray for us that we be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men for not all men have faith. Meaning deliverance from wicked people is a legitimate prayer. It doesn't mean you're running away from, you know, the will of God. Some people think that the persecution of the church is the will of God. I would say it this way. God permits it because of the purifying effect it has, but it's not God that sends persecution. There is a devil that doesn't like the progress of God's gospel. And so we must have that resilience in that situation where, yes, we are suffering for Christ, but if there is a way of escape, we want that way of escape. And so Paul is praying that prayer. He's desirous to not stay in prison because that limits how much he can do ministerially. And so the question I have for you now in the chat, if you can answer this is, what are the things that Paul says would lead to his deliverance? What things does he say would lead to his deliverance from that text? Who can, who can, who can answer that? I'm hoping you're typing. Okay, good. Prayer. Yes. What else? 
Is, is, is praise the only one in this Bible study? Good. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Lolade. Yes. So prayer and the supply of the spirit. You pause at that point too. You should be like, okay, what does this mean? What does, um, you know, prayer, obviously prayer makes a lot of sense. We get it. Um, but what is the supply of the spirit? That's a whole teaching entirely, but yeah, you can pick up on what Paul is saying. He's saying, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that I'm going to be delivered. Like I have, first of all, I have a knowing that because you guys are praying for me, I will be delivered. Such a confidence that the prayers of the saints are powerful enough to assure you of deliverance. And it shows you how much faith Paul has in prayer. A lot of people don't have this much faith in prayer. They just say, let's just pray. You know, but when you pray, do you believe that you receive what you ask? I think that's the meaning of, you know, a man trusting in prayer as a means of deliverance. That means prayer does work. You know, in, in the book of Acts, remember what happened, right? Paul and Silas were in prison, you know, they sang, they rejoiced, and supernaturally God stepped in. But another time, Peter was in prison. And remember that James had been killed. And the church started praying. They're like, ah, wow. Like, we'll be sleeping on this thing. So they started praying, started praying, because they had just arrested Peter. Like, please, Peter must not be killed as well. And the church started praying. And the Bible tells us of the miraculous encounter, where an angel comes, takes um, Peter by the hand, you know, removes the the chains and everything, walks him to the the end of the the gates. And it's when he comes out, he realizes it's not a dream. Like, he's actually free. He goes back to the house and a lady called Rhoda comes to the door and says, ah, guys, Peter is back. <laughs> and then they look at each other and while they are praying, like, ah, stop disturbing our prayer. Like, that must be his angel that you saw. Let's keep praying, you know. And I'm just wondering what the church then looked like, like praying without ceasing until you see a result. Like, that, that is not a, 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 an, an, an African practice. It's not an African church practice. It's not a charismatic church practice. It's an early church practice where they come together and pray because something can happen when they pray. And so Paul was just assured, I'm sure I'll be delivered. Um, and then he says, and, and the supply of the Spirit, Jesus. So I know that not only by your prayers, but there is something that comes from the Spirit, a, an empowerment that comes from the Spirit, the help of God. So your prayers are very effective. And God's going to work through his spirit for my deliverance. Two things. All right. And he says, you know, according to my earnest expectation, pun intended, (laughs) I'm joking. But yeah, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Oh, I need you to see this in the NLT. I I think it's a better way to see it. So 19 and 20, Philippians 1, 19 to 20. For I know that as you, sorry. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. He's saying that when I get freed from prison, it's not that doesn't mean I'll avoid, you know, being persecuted or being arrested again. Like, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to keep doing this. Remember, he wrote the, the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, he said the same thing. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because by saying that, he's implying that there is such a thing as shame for the gospel of Christ. Like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ means there is something to be ashamed of. That could There could be a cause for shame. And what's the cause for shame? The, the fact that there is offense. You're preaching the message of a redeemer, a deliverer of all men who himself died and not just a, you know, a honor, an honorable death. How did he die? Death on the cross, on the worst method of, of death, you know, that was, that was reserved for thieves and common criminals to teach them a lesson. That's what he goes through. That is, that is huge. And so Paul, Paul is like, nothing is going to make me ashamed of this message. I'm going to preach it even though it has elements of shame in it, 
It's the power of God. God likes to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Praise the name of Jesus. It's so, so important. So he says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. And Paul is just basically saying, see, if I'm alive, it's for the glory of God. If I'm dead, it's also still for the glory of God. Look at what he says next. Very, very popular verse. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I'm alive. All that matters to me is Christ. And when I die, I don't lose anything. That's just what he just described. And this verse comes from the verse prior to it, that even if I'm alive or dead, Christ is glorified. I'm in prison right now, and my prison, my imprisonment is bringing about the glory of God. So, sorry, think about the life of Paul for a moment. When he was outside, he was preaching. He said, stop preaching, shut up. He said, I can't stop. He says, I can't stop. Okay. Will arrest you. And so he arrests him and <laughs> he says, okay. And he goes to jail. And right there, he's saying the gospel is prevailing in prison. So there's nothing you can do to stop him. All the apostles were like that. Peter, they flogged him, flogged him, flogged him. And the Bible says he rejoiced. They left that place rejoicing that they suffered for Christ. So, such, such a thought. Such a thought. So when he now says, at this point, whether by life or by death, he means it. He means that nothing can stop the gospel from, from prospering. Nothing can stop the message that has been given to me, to my trust. I will preach it. And if I'm alive, it's all about Christ. If I'm dead, it's gain because like, first of all, number one, I get to be with the one who gave me this message. I get to live with him. But secondly, I've done so much work such that my suffering creates a ripple effect. Remember, he just mentioned it earlier. I'm in prison and people are more bold to preach the gospel. So how much more when I die? Have you noticed that, you know, people start streaming the music of, of particular superstars when they die? How many of you know what I'm talking about? So a superstar, when they're alive, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But once something happens to them, everybody goes to Spotify, YouTube, they play their songs, they cry, they will, you know, and, and, and for that moment, they may end up making more money than they ever made alive. You know, I, I can give some examples, but the time is limited. So it's, it's, it's a real thing. When, and apart from even from the musical world, how many of you were aware of the, the, the recent passing of um, such an amazing teacher, Charles um, Chuck? I mean, Chuck is the short, short, um, short name. Um, what's his last name again? I've forgotten. Uh, someone should help me. Charles, is this Charles Stanley? Yes, Charles Stanley. He recently passed, right? And all of a sudden, people were just referring to his sermons, his sermons, oh, his sermons blessed me. So there's sometimes there's the blessing that comes from the passing of a person, of a believer. The Bible says the memory of the just is blessed. Um, so, and, and most people think that, Text the memory. I think it's let me put it on the screen. Um, Proverbs, Proverbs 18 10. No, Proverbs, where is that text? Though? 7 10 or 10 7. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I still remember this. Thank God. Proverbs 10 7. The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. And most people say the memory of the righteous, uh, they put in the KJV, the memory of the just is blessed. And they think this is talking about, uh, uh, this was one of the funniest things that happened in school. Someone was reading this um, in on the on the pulpit. So my my school was a, mostly like a Christian school. And so on Sundays, they will have services, but we also have services during the week. And so someone climbed the stage and read from Proverbs 10, 7 and said, the memory of the just is blessed. He didn't finish the old text. He just stopped there. And he said, we're now going to be praying that as we write our exam, our memory is blessed. In the name of Jesus, pray. <laughs> I was like, God, how can you be so 
off by a million steps. When the Bible says the memory of the just is blessed, he's saying the remembrance of a just man is a blessed memory. All right, that's what this is really referring to. The memorial of godly people. Um, Let me see it in the NLT. Maybe, yeah, it says we have happy memories of the godly, but the name of the wicked rots away. Look at the message. The message says a good and honest life is a blessed memorial. The wicked life lives dangerous. And so you can come back to Philippians and understand what Paul is saying that. See, my life is for Christ, but when I'm dead, it does not diminish the impact of my ministry. Look at it in the NLT again. It says in the message, alive, I am Christ's messenger. Dead, I am his bounty. Ah, please, let's start for Eugene, Eugene Peterson. Let's start for him. I think I love, by the way, Eugene Peterson is the one that wrote the message translation. I think this is exactly how, I, I think, you know what? Let me take a screenshot of this. I'm going to, um, what's it called? I'm going to print this out and put it in my house someday. So how many of you are weird like me? <laughs> Sorry. I want to capture it. All right. Good. Captured it. Ah, that's beautiful. Alive. I am Christ's messenger. But when I'm dead, I'm his bounty. I'm the reward of, of ministry. Like people will be blessed as a result. You know what the bounty is, right? It's like a treasure found. It says life versus even more life. I can't lose. Glory to God. You guys are e- extra quiet today. I'm not seeing any responses, but that that is that is mind-blowing. It says for me to live is Christ to die is gain. Now, Paul says, for if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. So if I stay alive... I will get more results from my ministry. Yet, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. It's hard to decide between staying alive and going because staying alive is good ministry, it's fruitful ministry, but departing means I'll be with God. So he says, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain with you in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's saying to stay in the flesh, to stay alive, is more beneficial to you. So what does Paul say? He says, being confident of this. In other words, he's saying, I know this is not going to be my end. I'm not going to be in prison to the death. There will be released for me. And because of that, I will still be here to do fruitful ministry with you. And I'm confident of this, that I will remain. When he says, I know that I shall remain, he's saying, I know that I'll be alive. And continue, meaning I will still be in ministry with you. For what? What's the purpose of that? It says, for your progress and joy of faith. So I want to stay here so that you grow in your faith. And I also want you to experience the joy that I have in spite of my suffering in the faith. That's powerful. And he explains this. Most people just read verse 5 and verse 25 because maybe you are a member of Celebration Church and you know this is one of our most powerful scriptures. But look at this, the following verse that explains what he just said. I want to continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. And your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. So you guys are happy, you know, for your Philippi. You guys love me. I love you. We have a great relationship. And you are you rejoice. And so there would now be more rejoicing because you hear that I'm not dead, that I'm alive and I can continue ministry with with you. How many of you are thankful for your, your ministry gifts in the way Paul paints this picture? Like you are excited the next time you get to hear from your man of God, your pastor, a leader, or someone, because there is just a rejoicing that comes from your heart. I'm going to hear the word of God. I'm going to be trained. I'm going to be taught in righteousness. And it's abundant. You know, that's just a beautiful thing. And I want you to keep that practice. You know, anytime I get the chance to sit and listen to my pastor. Oh my God. Like sometimes it's like I'm I'm like a baby. I may be in the till now, I promise you. I may be in the kitchen or something. Maybe um, you know, Dara is around and she's listening to a sermon. Immediately I hear my pastor's voice. <laughs> sometimes it's weird. I'll run, I'll leave what I'm doing. I'll just come and see. Is that is that pastor? Okay, okay, okay. And I'm what, what's going on? Because there's always there's this childlike desire 
to be fed the word of God every time. And I think it's something to keep. Don't ever get too familiar with your, with your spiritual gifts, um, with your ministry gifts, people God has given to you to train you in the faith. All right. Very, very important. So let's wrap up um, this chapter. We only have a few more verses and I want you to see the flow. He says in verse 27, only let your conduct, this is the instruction part, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, meaning there is still an uncertainty. I know I'll be delivered. Though, and this is a balance that we need to have. This is a balance that I want us to have. It's a healthy balance. Yes, we lose, lose loved ones. People die. We, we, we learned this the last time I had a teaching here. Uh, on Sunday, I, I believe. James tells us our life is like a vapor. So even though Paul is confident, there is still that element of, I might be absent, <laughs> all right? Like I might not be here, but I'm confident, but I know that's a possibility because God ultimately has the will of, of things in his hand, right? You always want to have that balance. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that when, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs. So there is the context of um, him being aware that he could he could go and not be alive. But then there is also the immediate context of you. I, if I'm there with you, it's a blessing. If I'm not there, maybe I cannot for any reason come and be with you guys physically again. I want to have good news and hear about what God is doing through you. He says that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel i want you in agreement and he says and in nothing terrified by your adversaries nothing should stop you or keep you afraid but which to them now your adversaries know this about them that the fact that they oppose you is a proof to them of their impending doom so he says the, the you know the, the adversaries is to themselves a proof of perdition, but to you, a proof of salvation and that from God. And then remember what we said earlier, for it is you, for to you, sorry, it has been given or granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So it's a gift. It's a grace. God gives you on one hand to believe and experience the beauties and the glories of believing in Christ, but it's also given to you. It's granted. That's what this means. Like you will not just receive one side of Christ. You receive all of Christ. And that includes the sufferings of Christ. Jesus himself said, um, don't be afraid. When, don't be surprised when people hit you and persecute you and do all manner of things against you. He said, they hated me. They will hit you too. So it's just Paul's way of reminding you that, you know, as a believer, you're going to have some persecution. So people at work will not like you, no matter how kind or nice you are. You know, people at school will just not regard you. You know, you might be overlooked for a lot of opportunities just because you're a Christian. It says, hey, it is given to you to suffer for his sake. And there's a blessing attached to that. All right. And finally, the last verse, he says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here. And, and I think this is basically just saying that, um, you know, you're going through the same sufferings that I'm going through and that you're also hearing that I'm in prison. And so I want you to participate in that, in that experience as well. All right. So that's where we're going to stop today. Um, I think just to make that, those last few verses clearer, put the NLT. It says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. He says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still. So he's just reminding them, suffering is not uncommon to the believer. And you see me suffering, very well believe that you will also suffer for the sake of Christ. And this subject of suffering might just make you feel like, oh my God, what have I got myself into? And we'll continue that next week as you start to see um, God's idea in how he uses suffering to bless people. There's a blessing in suffering for Christ is what I'm going to say. You may not get it now, but trust the one who told you. All right. All right. Any, any questions on today's teaching?
just as a correction, um, verse verse um, 27, primarily, if I want to be very, very clear here, it's talking about Paul mentioning that there's an opportunity for him to see them again or not see them again. And not seeing them again could mean two things, just for clarity. The fact that before he ever gets to come back, he would have died and be with the Lord, or that he might not, in his travels, have the opportunity to come to Philippi again. And all that he will have is to hear of them. And he said he wants to hear good things, that they are still fighting together for the faith, right? So just wanted to clarify that, because someone might be wondering that maybe from that text, you don't infer directly that Paul is saying, I'm, I know I'm going to die, because that's not what it's saying. It's saying, there is the possibility of me not ever seeing you before I have to go and be with the Lord. And so if I if I if that happens, I still want to hear good. All right. So questions? And any anybody with a question, comment, addendum, anything? All right. So I'm just gonna wrap up now. Um can I ask who's iPhone? Just to be sure. And uh, I can say hi to you. Okay. No worries. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a time of Bible study, um, reminding us of the love that we ought to have for you and the love that we have. We thank you for the word of God just taught accurately and clearly that we should not in any way be terrified of our adversaries, that when we suffer, we suffer for Christ and it brings glory to him and blessings to us. Help us, Lord, to stand firm in the face of persecution. Help us to stand firm even when things seem and look on what is good. We trust you, our Father. Lord, we want to pray for our friend who is on the WhatsApp group that, you know, recently just lost a loved one and the whole family is beginning to lose faith because they had trusted you for him. I pray for strength. I pray for emotional strength because that's what they need right now. That even when things go out of place, even when they have prayed and they do not receive answers, you are still God and you are, and that. The ultimate redemption of this world is still at hand. It's You didn't leave it to chance. Yes, people may not have full healing here and now, but they will have full healing in their new bodies. That's, that's the design. So even though it's not happening now, it will happen. And we are thankful for that assurance, the one we can give our lives. There is comfort for that family right now in the name of Jesus. And for anyone who is listening, going through a difficult time as well, where there is comfort for them, comfort on every side. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we bear. Amen. That was an awesome meeting. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word of God. If you would like to join the actual World Dinner Sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link page. It's always on Fridays, 9 p.m. West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time.